Hey, I'm Nicole, your host of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. On this show, we're going to be talking tangible action that you can take in order to achieve the life you thought was only achievable after retirement. Everything you want now in life, you can have it. Will it take hard work, patience, and uncomfortable growth? You bet it will, but it will be so worth it. On this show, we will be deep diving into the topics of lifestyle design, travel, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. I myself am a global citizen and world traveler who left my home country and conventional lifestyle behind for a life of adventure and following my passions. And that's exactly what I want for you. It's your time to love your work, build your wealth, and create the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. Let's do this. Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, aka Nomad Neeks, and in today's episode, I am looking forward to sitting down with Lindsay Deneen. Lindsay holds a senior role in marketing and engagement for a medical device design and manufacturing company. She is a community director for the virtual remote chapter of Be In The Room and champions health and wellness through her affiliate role with Bravenly and her own dance, stretching, and mindfulness online courses. Her career path is eclectic and encompasses everything from being a professional ballerina to owning a dance studio and being the artistic director of a professional dance company to also being the vice president of an inventory services company and so much more. She holds an MS in management and leadership and is set to complete an MBA program in May of 2023. She and her husband embrace the digital nomad lifestyle, traveling full-time around the world while working their remote jobs. In this episode, we are going to be chatting all about how to become a digital nomad, some of the struggles that you may face in living a digital nomad lifestyle, how she house sits around the world and gets free rent and so much more. Let's dive right into it. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today on the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I am so looking forward to our chat today, but before we get into it, why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit more about your background, where you started, and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah. So, oh my goodness. I have a very crazy eclectic background, but first of all, my name is Lindsay. I am a full-time digital nomad. My husband and I travel all around the world and we get to experience a lot of different uh, states mostly because we mostly have stayed in the United States, but Over the past year, a little over a year since we first started this, we've been to also six countries. So that has been a really big, fun adventure as well. But yeah, my background is, like I said, really eclectic. I um, started off my career as a professional ballerina, and I am still doing that a little bit on the side, although it looks really different these days than it used to. But so ballet and dance has been a running theme throughout my life. And then sort of um, in college, I I really started developing also an interest in business and marketing, um, business development. And so another running theme throughout my life has been, or at least throughout my career, has been that I also do, um, you know, marketing for small businesses 
I've done that a number of times for lots of different industries over the years and then actually had my own business. Um, I ran a brick and mortar dance studio for a few years. I had a professional dance company that is still project based, but again, looks a little different these days. Um, And I also kind of currently do some online dance courses and wellness courses and things like that. So I am all over the place. I would say the running themes (laughs) have been dance and wellness and the arts and just a passion for helping people live life in the ways that make them feel that they are um, healthy and empowered and successful. So cool. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I love how multi-passionate you are and (laughs) do everything that you're passionate about. I absolutely love that. So I would love to chat within your story. You mentioned, you know, you have been a digital nomad for quite some time. So how did that look like for you? Was it your company transition to be remote? Was it that you really wanted that lifestyle and you petitioned for that? What did that look like to really get started within your individual digital nomad journey? Yeah, that's a great question. And and my path looks a little different than maybe some others. I, um, you know, so when the pandemic started, I think it was around that time, I started thinking about maybe going to grad school. And I thought that the opportunities that that I was interested in were out of state. So I started realizing in general, and we were in Kansas City well, for me, for 10 and a half years, for my husband, his whole life. So we um, started thinking about, okay, what would it look like to move out of state? What would it look like to change, you know, sort of our lifestyle? What would we do? Would we downsize? Would we, you know, how would that look? And it kind of turned out that grad school wasn't the path that we chose. But um, instead, that got us thinking as to, well, you know what, we aren't necessarily tied down to any one location anymore. I mean, I had the studio, I had the professional company, but those were my endeavors that I could choose how to do those or not to do those. Um, And so that sort of opened up the door for, well, maybe we should look into going somewhere else. But then we had no specific place in mind that we necessarily wanted to land next. And we felt like moving was a pretty big deal if we're not 100% sure what comes next. And so we started exploring the idea of, you know what, we have fully remote jobs. You know, those were our full-time gigs at the time. And we could really do this from literally anywhere in the world. And our hours might look a little wonky, but hey, why not? We're young. We don't have children. We can uh, we can travel. We can do fun things and still have the energy and, and, and the physical ability to do that. Like, why not? So again, sort of for us, it was this meandering path of like, well, maybe we can move out of state. Well, maybe we don't know exactly where to move. And then it became this, hey, we can actually explore the world and do this and just let's figure out how. Cool. I love that. And I love that you really wanted to travel and you knew that that wanted to be a priority in your life. And so you made it happen. And I think that is a very important piece of a lot of digital nomad or people who travel and work. Part of their journey is that a lot of the times it doesn't just fall into your lap. I mean, of course, there are times when it does, but a lot of the times it doesn't. You have to really make it work for you and you have to know this is a lifestyle that I want, that I'm going to be motivated. You know, it's not just sitting at the beach with your laptop all the time. I actually hate sitting at the beach because of the sand with my laptop. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yes. so much. know the struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's very commendable that you knew what you wanted. And so you went and you made that work. Now, I'm curious within you mentioning that you had some brick and mortar businesses in the States. How did that look for you? Did you still have those businesses when you became a digital nomad and started traveling all around the world, all around the U.S. Um, or not? And if you did, how did that look? How does that work? I think that's something that a lot of people will hold them back if they want to travel, but they know that they have a physical business. And so that just won't be an option for them to travel. And that's just off the table. So how did that look for you? And how did you make that work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was interestingly enough in a position back during when the pandemic started that I had kind of already come to the conclusion that the dance studio that I had, although I loved it and I would not trade that experience for anything in the world, but it had become um, a, a huge just drain on me. Like I got to a point where I kind of didn't recognize myself in the mirror. I was just so exhausted. It was I was running, I was doing a full-time job. I was running the studio. I was running the company and I was like, I can't do this. And like, it was just so much. So when the pandemic started and I wouldn't wish this path on anyone, including myself really, but when it started, it kind of became the pivot point for me to realize like, maybe this is sort of a blessing in disguise in terms of it allowed me to shut the doors on that particular location and say, you know what, I think I, th- I think I'm done with that aspect. I ended up still holding lessons out of my home for a long time. I was able to start building up my online dance curriculum as well. So my courses that are online um, and really just pivoted to a different format that worked really well for me and wasn't so draining. Um, but honestly, I, I did private lessons all the way up through before we moved and it, and it was honestly, that was one of the hardest parts of moving and making that decision was, I mean, again, I knew that I was ready for the change, but at the same time, I love my students. So it was really hard to give that up. But I think, um, you know, for me, I had come to the realization that again, um, this was kind of my chance. This was my opportunity to to do this, and I didn't want to let that go. So it it is hard. It's not it's not an easy decision. Um, there's some very really sad moments where, like, for instance, I had this moment I remember where um, I was uh, like on the floor of the dance studio, and I was pulling screws out of the um, out of the floor and just trying to, uh, like hold it together because I was, I was upset. And I was thinking about how much less time it takes to dismantle a dream than it does to build one. And so (laughs) there were definite times where it was, it was challenging, but at the same time, I think I've learned that dreams can and do change and evolve over time. And if you give yourself permission to let that happen, you'll end up being very satisfied with your choices in the end when your emotions catch up to your brain. Thank you so much for sharing that, Lindsay. And I can definitely imagine that there would be quite a few probably really heart-wrenching struggles within giving up something that you created on your own and that was probably your baby for so long. 
um, in pursuit of a new lifestyle. <laughs> While we're on this topic of digital nomad and embracing the digital nomad lifestyle, what are some things that you found that you personally had to give up and also some things that you gained throughout this digital nomad journey that you've been on? Yeah. And that's a great question because I think that's something that is not necessarily addressed as much as it should be because the reality is as wonderful as it is, there's sort of this idea that it's like, <laughs> like you're staying necessarily in five-star resorts. Like you said, you're working on the beach. Totally unrealistic. No way. Um, and like, you know, just a bunch of things where it feels from maybe from an outside perspective, very, very glamorous. And there are lots of wonderful perks. Let's not downplay that. But it isn't all sunshine and rainbows. And I think that that's important to talk about too. Um, so I think some of the things that you recognize that you're going to have to give up are, uh, yeah, a few things. For us, it meant that we sold or gave away um, probably like 99% of our belongings, honestly. It was a huge endeavor. We had um just sort of accumulated stuff over time you know and and you don't even realize the sentimental value that you place on certain things until you're trying to get rid of them and then you're like but my you know so and so gave it to me one time and like but who cares like you don't even use it you don't look at it so i so there's like a weird sentimental thing you kind of have to get over and it is harder than you think um so that was a big thing for us was like going through the emotional process of, of getting rid of things. And the other component of that that was a little bit hard for us was realizing that the value that we place on something isn't necessarily worth that to someone else. So for instance, when we were originally going through and, you know, pricing everything, we were like, well, it's worth this. It's a great piece of furniture or whatever. And then, you know, we'd get this offer and we were like, okay. <laughs> Okay, so our expectations are just different than, you know, than maybe reality is. And that's okay. Um, but we, you know, we put heirloom kind of things that we definitely wanted to keep. Thankfully, um, my in-laws are awesome. They're storing those kinds of things at their home for us. But there's like not that much. I mean, I want to say we were kind of allotted a closet and a corner of a space of a room. And that's all we have. So it is remarkable how much physical things you have to get rid of in order to do this. Um, but oh my gosh, one of the things that you gain is I would never go back ever, ever, ever. Do I ever want to go back to the amount of stuff that I used to own? Like under any circumstance, <laughs> because it is so easy to accumulate. It is so easy just to like stash things up. And now one of the most freeing things that I have gained from this journey is that we can't buy stuff. Like we really can't like, you know, so, and then what that's nice about is you go into a store and you can just have fun. You can just look around, but you don't have that mental thing going on of like, well, should I buy this? Should I buy this? No, if we're going to buy something, it's going to have to be a gift for someone else. And that's it. Cause we, we have nowhere to put it. <laughs> we do not have a home. We do not have a storage facility. So the, there's like double, I would say that a lot of things, when you realize that you're giving them up, you gain a different element to it. And that really helps. 
you know, another thing that you do give up would be things like community is really hard. So for instance, you know, again, my husband being there his entire life in Casey and me having spent 10 and a half years, we had built up a great community of people. And that is hard to 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 leave. And it is often hard to leave because a lot of times people don't really understand your choice, um, which is something that we've kind of found where you know, again, with this perception of either A, you have gobs of money, so you're just able to do this lifestyle, which wasn't and isn't true for us. Um, or you, you know, just, I, I don't know, like you need to get this out of your system kind of thing. And so you're going to do it for a year or two and then be done. And there's just, a, there's just not a lot of understanding of what it really is. I'm sure you've encountered this too. And so the community aspect is is odd in the fact that you don't have that physical presence of people. But at the same time, again, on the flip side, you can build a community of wonderful, like-minded people um, that you meet along the way. I guess maybe something to think about if, if anyone is interested in this is trying not to think about it in terms so much of what you lose and what you gain, it, but maybe more in terms of how you change and grow as a result of it. And those things are are wonderful gifts, actually, in the long run, even though they're kind of hard sometimes at the beginning. <laughs> that was perfectly well put. I was writing like so many notes of things that I want to talk to you about as you were saying that. Literally like my feelings and I think probably so many other digital nomads feelings in yeah. what you just said. That was very eloquent. So thank you. And, you know, in, in you saying that, I... Well, first of all, completely agree with everything you said, but I think it's very interesting first touching on the point of community. And I find that I have so much more in common. You know, if we're talking five years ago or even three years ago, this would not have been the case. But now with my mindset and my mentality, I have so much more in common with people that we meet on the road and other fellow digital nomads because they just get it and they know, you know, exactly what what, like what you said, you know, you know what minimalism really means and what living out of one or two suitcases really means. And that, you know, I collect experiences more than I collect things now because that's really the only option I have. And I like having that as the only option. I don't want to have a yeah. bunch of stuff all over the place. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of people back home, I don't keep in touch with them as much anymore. And that has phased out as the years have gone on, but it's because it's such a different mindset that I now have that I align with. To be fair to that point, that is a hard thing to come to, especially if you had had very cherished friendships. But I would say that it's, it might be similar to the way a lot of us experience change throughout our lives in terms of, you know, I, of my childhood friends that I was super close to for a very long time, I have three of them that I still keep in contact with. And, you know, those, I feel so, so thankful and lucky for those three, but that's it. Right. And even with college, you know, I was very, very close to those people for that time. But then after that, I keep in touch with one, maybe two of them. So I think, you know, the again, if you if you give yourself permission to change and grow, then the kinds of people that come into your life and and um align really well are are those people who are also growing and changing and allowing that. And and then it becomes kind of just Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And then touching on your first point that you initially said more about the 
getting rid of everything. And I can only imagine, I don't know if you're like a house or an apartment, but I can only imagine having to go through essentially everything that you own and audit your entire life full of things. Um, so for me, you know, a funny example is I needed some new clothes. Like I really needed new shirts. I had a bunch of pants, but I was wearing like the same two shirts. And so the other day I went out and I bought some shirts and I was like, okay, now I have four new shirts, which like to most people doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually a lot. <laughs> I need to get rid of some things now. Like there has to be some other clothes that I'm not wearing because I just physically don't have room. I have one suitcase and that's what I live out of. So how does that look for you in your minimalism journey, being a nomad? What does that look like specifically for you? Yeah. So we, um, (laughs) I so relate to your, you know, well, that doesn't seem like very many shirts to a lot of people, but to us, that's a lot of shirts (laughs) because I literally just got this pack of five shirts. They're literally the exact same style. There's nothing about them that's different except they're different colors. And it is amazing. I love them. They're like, you know, perfect for all sorts of different occasions. Like you could wear them for a workout, but they look cute enough that you could just wear them out or whatever. And so, yes, I relate to this whole sentiment. And, you know, for us, we tend, it really depends. Like because of the way we're doing our digital nomading, um, sometimes we get limited to that one suitcase. And that is always the case when we're going overseas. But other times, like right now, when we're in the States, we, depending on the situation, usually have um, a car available to us. And so when that happens, then we get two suitcases. (laughs) And that's still it, you know, but it does sort of help. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) <laughs> yes. And and it is hard. It is hard because like literally the other day I realized that I don't have any nice shoes at all anymore. And we were going to this nicer event and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to wear my boots and pretend that this look works because I don't have, I just, I don't have them. But shoes take up so much space. So I can't have like thousands of, you know, I can't have multiple pairs. I can have my practical shoes and my sandals and like, that's just about it, you know, and a pair of boots. So yes, uh, it is a huge adjustment. Some days I handle it very well and I'm like, I don't care what I like, this is fine. And then other days I'm like, I just wish I had something fancy or whatever, you know, the circumstance may be, but on a, on a day-to-day basis. You re- you don't realize that you can get away with very, very few things if you just like, you just have to reorient your mind and like, that's okay. And also when you're a digital nomad, you're not seeing the same people like day after day. So also nobody knows. <laughs> Totally. And for me, you know, it's like usually when I'm at home working, I'm just wearing my pajamas. So that also doesn't really count either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I like that you bring that up. And I think being a digital nomad as a female is very different than as a male because, of course, we require more things. And I think, of course, we want more clothes. And you really have to change your mindset because I know when I had an apartment or a home, I had a huge closet. I think I had like 50 shirts or something. And I think I did an audit the other day. I have like 10 shirts. And I'm like, even that's like a lot of shirts. Yes. But like- <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And so it, it can be difficult. And you know, when yeah. you bring up the shoes, I have one pair of running shoes, which are white and go with most outfits, but it limits me because I can't really buy that many dresses because dresses don't really go with the right, with the white running shoes. Yes. And then I have a pair of sandals for the apartment and it's like, that's all I have. So when I'm going shopping or trying on clothes or thinking like, oh, that looks cute. Well, is it going to go with a white pair of sneakers? If not, then I, I don't have another option because you're right. Shoes just take up way too much space. But I wonder if the, again, the trade-off for you is there's sort of freedom in that because then it's not like you're like, you realize that you have a very, you know, restricted sort of, um, color palette or, or style palette that you get to work within. So then it becomes easier though. Like you don't, it's just, does this work or not? Okay. If it doesn't work, then it's out. And then you can make the decision. Do I like it? Do I feel good in it? But it's like, it actually helps in a way once you get used to it it's like oh this actually frees up my life and my creative <laughs> space yeah yeah it's like mark zuckerberg and his t-shirts you know I, yeah. I completely agree and i've actually started within the last like six months i would say only wearing neutral colors i'm wearing a yes. white shirt right now because yeah. it just makes sense you know neutral looks good with anything else that's neutral if i have something that's bright orange and bright blue like i'm just never gonna wear that yeah yeah yep I totally understand. It it really, it's interesting as like a female being a nomad, because this is, you know, a guy would never care or talk about this, but for us, it could be such a struggle (laughs) and really something that you have to think about and like get it down to a science for what works best for you because you're pretty limited in those options. But again, you're totally right. It is very freeing. When I had 50 shirts, it would be, oh my gosh, I think I'd be trying on clothes for like an hour before I would go out. And now that's not a problem. Right. <laughs> you don't have that many clothes to try on. It's no big deal. Make a decision. <laughs> and I know what looks good with other things. So yeah. it really works. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And I think people who are not nomads can't understand it. And, you know, I will just very quickly say that when we were in Canada a few months ago for about a month visiting family and friends, we went to see one of my friends. And I think I was mentioning something about how I just bought like two new shirts and that was a lot of shirts or something. And she was like, two shirts. I have like the same pair of yoga pants she was wearing. She was like, I have this in seven different colors. And she's like, that's more pants than I own. And she just has, you know, and that's only one pair of yoga pants for her, just in all of this variety of colors. And so I found it very interesting, the mindset shift that you have to have in order for me to go, buying two shirts is a lot to the full closet. It's a different mindset. Yeah. 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 And there are still days where I'm like, I, I, especially on the days where I'm packing and I'm trying to keep under the weight limits and all those fun little things you've got to think about. Right. And I was like, I, how, what in the world I have pared down my life to like one or two suitcases. Right. And I still feel like I own too much. I mean, that is a huge mindset shift to come to. And it's only a year and a few months into this. And I'm like, I still own too many things. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love it. But I really love that minimalist mindset as well. It just, it serves me personally and maybe you as well. It serves me. I feel like my life is just so much more in order without having all the millions of things all over the place. Yes. Amen. I love it. (laughs) Um, So, transitioning from the digital nomad, the minimalism, um, I would like to talk about where you and your partner 
usually stay when you are traveling. I know that you house sit a lot of the time. So what does your accommodation, house sitting and otherwise, what does that usually look like for you? And then getting into the house sitting, um, how do you do it? Just start from there and and go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I will say that when we first started talking about this whole lifestyle shift, we were actually planning to just do Airbnbs like the whole time. That was what we were planning for. That was what we were budgeting for. And then January of last year, I stumbled on some, I think it was a site that sort of helped digital nomads get started, right? And one of their suggestions was, you know, you could do this house sitting thing. And I thought, okay, well, let me look into this. So we go through a house house sitting site uh, that's called Trusted House Sitters. And it is basically a free exchange. So Uh, We will go and take care of people's pets and homes for free in exchange for a free place to stay. So it's a really interesting um, sort of concept because for us, we love animals. And frankly, I would miss animals if I didn't get to be around them as much as we do uh, because we had dogs and things. And so um, it's a wonderful fit for us. I really love that companionship and being in people's homes that they actually live in um, is is good for two reasons, more than two reasons. But one of them is that um, they're just it's a lot different of a feel than an Airbnb because you go and you're you're staying at a place that actually has a fully stocked kitchen, for instance. So you know when you're trying to make meals, it's not like you have to buy all the spices that you would ever need. They probably have some of those things already. Um, so sort of the comforts of, of a home that's lived in is different. So I really enjoy that aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it, that's really nice is sort of the social component of when we're staying, we're staying in, again, somebody's lived in home. So we, we already sort of have built in a, um, feeling of being a part of a neighborhood and uh, like a local community a little bit more so than being in an Airbnb where you sort of end up feeling a little bit touristy, even if you're there for an extended period of time. So it's really fun because a lot of times we'll get to meet the neighbors. We'll get to, especially, you know, when we're walking the dogs or whatever, we'll kind of get to know even some fam, like extended family, like Last year, we were in Scotland over um, Easter and our host family after we had, they had come back, I think the day before, and then they let us spend Easter with their extended family. And it was just one of, I mean, like one of my fondest memories of an Easter ever. And it was just because we had this opportunity to connect with these wonderful people. And so I think um, house sitting has been just this unexpected, really enjoyable way of doing it. And so we plan out months and months in advance. Um, Like we are fully booked throughout this year already. I'm starting to look at next year, you know, in the future and stuff. And so it's just a lot of fun. And we, we stay, like I said, mostly in the States, but um, you know, last year we did a bunch of house sits in the UK, which was really fun. And then we did a couple of house sits in Berlin, which was also awesome. So the wonderful thing about that particular site is that there are literally opportunities all around the world. So if it fits in with your schedule and and you're not, um, and you're comfortable seeing in somebody's home and taking care of pets, it is so great. (laughs) It's so much fun. That's so cool. What a fun way to live life and to experience a local place and then also to not pay rent. Like that's awesome. And to be around animals. I do miss animals. 
So I'm curious, have you ever had any bad experiences within trusted house sitters or house sitting? Yes. <laughs> the short answer is unfortunately yes. Um, but I will caveat that with the vast majority of everything we've experienced has been phenomenal. Most of the time people, you know, they they obviously care a lot. They care enough about their pets that they want them to stay home. They want someone to be with them in their home so they're not having to go to like a kennel or whatever. So I will say that for the most part, 100%, we've had really wonderful experiences. We have had a couple experiences where the pictures that the homeowner posted um, probably were taken at the very beginning of maybe when they moved in and do not reflect the current state of the house. So um, sometimes that has looked like excessive clutter um, to a point of bordering on hoarding kind of activities um, or just general messiness. And sometimes that has looked like they may not have cleaned in a very long time. So there mm -hmm. have been not many, but there have been a couple experiences where um, they have been very difficult because... <laughs> And again, everybody is different in sort of their their tolerance of mess and clutter and and um and cleanly you know levels of cleanliness. So I want to caveat that maybe certain things wouldn't bother others. Um, but for me, in order to feel like I um even just have the mental space, and maybe this is part of the minimalist thing that's happening for me now, but is I I it, it is hard for me to operate in a place that is not clean and cluttered and messy. And so that is something that we keep learning every, like every single sit we keep learning. Okay. So maybe this is like, how do we ask people, how do, how do, how do we phrase, you know, our conversations with people to try to ascertain their tolerance level and, and of, of clutter and mess and, and, um, and cleanliness, just because again, people have different standards and what bothers one person totally doesn't bother someone else. So, you know, we want to be respectful of that, but how do we <laughs> phrase things in a way that help us get in the best situations that work well? So I will, so I will say that, yeah, there have been a couple that have been difficult, but again, overall vast majority. So great. It's not like, yeah. Uh -huh. Not, not, nothing's been bad enough where we're like, we can never do this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. So what do you do? Is there support within the platform or what do you do when something is not as you expected? That is a great question. And it is a difficult question because it is, uh, it is a bit challenging because you can, you can always talk directly to trusted house sitters, for instance, and talk with their support line and explain what's going on. So that is, that is a helpful thing that you're able to do. But at the same time, it can be tricky because when those situations have happened for us, um, we have not wanted to back out of our commitment because there are animals at stake here. Like this is like actual live, wonderful creatures that this is not their fault, right? So it's a it's a tricky situation. I I have talked to other house sitters who, just depending on the level of difficulty with the situation, they may just cancel. Um, 
I just personally feel that it would have to be like a level of bad that we haven't experienced yet to do that. Um, it was so one particular instance was, was really, really difficult, like very, very, very difficult. But at the same time, it was, it was a short amount of time. It was less than a week. So we kind of felt like, okay, well, let's just tolerate it and be done. Um, there's a rating system on trusted house sitters too, where that's sort of a double-edged sword, like they can rate us, we can rate them. And so learning how to diplomatically address concerns for the fairness of future house sitters who are evaluating this is a challenge. And I would say sometimes the best way you can do that is something I learned with even owning my own businesses and you get reviews that you're like, so you have to learn how to sort of diplomatically handle it. And I think a bunch of things that you can do is, is talk about it in terms of your, the expectations that were placed did not meet reality. And so you can talk about it very factually in a very, and a very high level without getting into the feeling component of it. And that does help. So there are ways to deal with it. And I'm sure everyone handles it a little differently, it's hard to know what to do. I'll just be frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And that's why I wanted to ask you because it's very different than like an Airbnb or, or a hotel where there's no animals involved. And so like you don't want to give that up, but at the same time, so I can imagine how difficult that is. Something to navigate, but not having to navigate it often is the key for us, right? Like if, if it happened more, that would just be a no-go for us. But um because it's only been a couple times, it's like, okay, there's some flukes in the system. There's flukes in every system. I mean, even Airbnbs that we've stayed at, even when we stayed at recently was, and we just had to, you know, and you just have to navigate it as it comes. It's, it is part of what you are giving up is the stability of knowing exactly what you're getting into. You don't know. So it's a forced uh, flexibility and patience exercise. (laughs) (laughs) I I totally agree. And you hit the nail on the head. You know, this is part of the lifestyle and you kind of have to know this is going to happen going into it. Like we've never done trusted house sitters or house sitting before, um, but we have always do Airbnb. And there's quite a few Airbnbs that we've been in that haven't, you know, looked like the pictures or the internet speed is just like, you can't get anything done, which you know is a no-go. So yeah, there are always those difficulties and that kind of just comes along with not having a set place to live. So wrapping things up, but before we do, I want to know what tips would you give somebody who is looking to house it to get on the trusted house sitters platform? Is it too oversaturated right now? Um, What is your advice? What would your tips be? Sure. There are way more opportunities than there are house sitters. So it is not oversaturated, um, especially if you're willing to travel and you don't necessarily have like a very specific ideas in mind of where you want to go. There's opportunities, like I said, literally all over the world. So you know, if you're of the mindset that you can stay open and be just like, hey, sure, I've never been to Columbus, Ohio, for instance. That happened last year. And we were like, I don't know anything about Columbus, Ohio. We'll see how it turns out. And turned out to be one of our favorite cities that we'd been to. So I think I think being open to, to just exploring new places is a great way to go about it. I think, um, yeah, there, there's, there's lots and lots of opportunity. And 
like I said, it's a lot of fun. And so um, tips and tricks, I would say some things maybe to keep in mind would be uh, one thing that we've kind of learned to do as a result of the not so great experiences is when we um, first put in, you kind of put in like a application is too strong of a word because it's really not that. But when you put in like a response to somebody's posting, um, you just share a little bit about yourself and kind of why you'd like to do the SID and, you know, whatever other information that's relevant. And I think, you know, one thing that's helpful to talk about that you really want to be upfront about is if you are working, that you need to say that. Like, I work from home, so I need a really strong internet connection. That's something that's, I mean, it's really a no starter for us if we can't have that, right? So, you know, this is, and um, another sort of like helping the expectations to be set for everybody is saying like, what are your working hours if you if you have that limitation? So for instance, for, for us, it's like, well, we have to be on the line nine to four East Coast hours. Whatever that means, you know, wherever you are, that's just the way it is. So if that's going to be an issue for, for them because their animals have a very, very particular routine, well, you want to know that up front. So I would say um, the more you can give and like, I think over communication is not a thing. I think the more that you can give um, so that you can all be on the same page as far as your expectations go, the better it will be. Um, and I think that includes the the current state of the house. So for instance, sure, somebody might've taken pictures, you know, when their house was spotless because they just moved in. But one thing that we've started doing is when we have our call, we always like to have a call before we accept an opportunity. Even if we've chatted, it just feels better to like kind of get to know each other a little bit more. So one thing that we do is we ask them to give us a, a little walkthrough of their house. And that's really revealing because if, for instance, somebody has a little bit of clutter in their kitchen, but they address it on the call and they say, you know, you know, sorry, I just finished making dinner. I haven't had time to clean up yet. Then that's kind of an indication that, okay, that's not their norm. But if somebody's walking through their house and it's cluttered and messy and they're not talking about it, then it's kind of like, okay, maybe that's your norm. So I would say little tips and tricks to help make it <laughs> better would be spell out all of the expectations, anything you need to make sure that you've communicated, like just over communicate. <laughs> would be my biggest hint. Yeah, no, I know. I like that a lot. And I think that there is definitely something to be said about just hopping on a call and getting yeah. to know them, their house, them getting to know you, I'm sure. You know, yes. you're a stranger staying in their home yeah. animals. So I'm sure they want to know the same. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing so much today about your digital nomad journey, about the behind the scenes of your life, about how you got started, what everything has looked like for you. It has been very enlightening, very insightful. So before we head off, where can people find you online? Sure. Yeah. Well, you're always welcome to reach out to me on social media, um, Facebook and Instagram. My business pages, so to speak, are at Lindsay Deneen Official. And then if you are interested in, well, you can also contact me through my website, but there's some recipes, there's some online dance courses, a few different, like I said, I'm all about wellness and um, dance and thriving. So uh, that's lifebutbetter.org. 
Um, but yeah, definitely. Or even LinkedIn, reach out to me, just Lindsay Deneen. I'm sure you'll find me. Um, but yeah, just reach out to me at any time. I'd love to answer questions about the lifestyle or anything I can do to help. I'm always available. If this episode has served you in any way, I would love it if you shared what you've learned or a part of the episode that you loved by tagging me on Instagram at nomadneeks. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review so that I can continue to bring you educational content, learn and grow together. Thank you for your support and see you in the next episode of the Work, Wealth and Travel podcast.